And a very good morning, friends. Tis Oliver Callan in here in the studio until 10 o'clock this morning. It is now Thursday, the 13th of July, 2023 now. Indeed, 51551, that's the text number. You can, uh, from the North, text studio and then your message to 80889. Um, what are we talking about this morning? We've got Spike Island. Spike Island down in Cork is the topic of one of our guests this morning. And I said here a couple of weeks ago that it's one of the most impressive places to visit in the whole country. And I'm slightly obsessed because I went there twice in recent years. Not as obsessed, though, as our guest John Crotty, who's an author and a man who was running and brought the place from its dark ages to the tour's hit that it is now. So it's a fascinating place, a place of stories and hauntings. It's about Cromwell, the imprisonment of of children even during the famine for stealing bread and food to stay alive. It was a transport hub for enslavement to the penal colonies. It is 1916, the War of Independence, and then the modern era of prison and poverty and the riots of the Joyriders. So it's an amazing place. It uniquely wasn't freed from British rule until 1938. So join us on that trip across the water down in Cove as we... Uh, escape, ironically, to the island, the fortress island of the prison. So I'm looking forward to that. Now, across the papers today, and I'm looking at the back pages in particular this morning and in the sports section. Well, the Irish Independent Sports section kind of sums it all up. Dublin Kerry final is inevitable, says Meath manager Colm O'Rourke, insisting the cream will rise to the top with uh, in Croke Park this Saturday, which is going to be a sellout. And uh, this is, of course... Uh, Dublin play Monaghan and Kerry play Derry, but there's no mention of the underdogs. No mention of us at all. And the Irish Daily Star as well. Well, actually, the Irish Daily Star is the one that mentions why Colm O'Rourke is even in the papers. They're not even mentioning the fact that Meath and Dan are in the Talton Cup final, that uh, um, next layer of, of the GAA, which has become very, very popular. And there's Colm O'Rourke holding the trophy he hopes to be his team lifts on um, Saturday, which is a repeat of the Meath in the 1991 final. And Colm O'Rourke is still bitter about losing that final to Down. It's a very Wimbledon-looking trophy, actually, the Talton Cup. But um, it's a nice name and everything uh, but it underscores uh, Tommy Martin the examiner he's also just talking about Dublin and Kerry and there's no mention of the rest of them Michal Clifford in the Irish Daily Mail again it's just all about Dublin and the brink of great greatness and James McCarthy he's right so, you know let the underdogs have our day you know be respectful of the minnows as you to use that cliche that's always in sport of the rank outsiders be a bit fair to us do you know we want to have our day out in Crow Park and enjoy ourselves and the Talton Cup is the curtain raiser. And I think there's a junior match on, on Sunday. So a weekend we're looking forward to, to get away from it all. 51551, that's the text number. Uh, what else is happening in our papers this morning? Well, uh, artificial intelligence is never out of the news. And a mother has been astonished because she took an iPhone photograph of her 18-year-old son at a museum in Sydney. And uh, it's a striking photograph. He's, he's holding mannequins in a kind of a red... Um, a bathroom. It looks like something out of a film when I first saw it. And anyway, uh, he had, they entered the photograph competition uh, and then it was rejected by the competition because the judge says, no, that's fake. That has been faked by AI. And uh, she had to come back and say, no, this, this is literally a photograph I've taken myself. And um, it is a beautiful photograph. Two mannequins at the Gucci exhibition in the Sydney Powerhouse Museums. Yes, it has kind of David Lynch, Twin Pikes, Twin Peaks vibes and someone said it looked like something out of Black Mirror. So it has a very surreal, beautiful, striking quality to it, particularly with the scarlet and the, the sun has, has that sort of movie 
supermodel, good looks and so on. Uh, but anyway, this it was initially rejected and it has echoes of another competition which uh, a photograph that actually managed to win a Sony World Photography Award in Germany a couple of weeks ago and the photographer said, ha ha, this actually was an AI photograph and I wanted to start this conversation. So if social media, basically the, the crux of this, social media was the death of privacy, then AI is kind of the death of reality and basically our ability to tell the real from the faked. Uh, and even if something is real, like in this photograph, we have no faith in our own senses. Uh, and interestingly, actually, the mum who took the photograph said, uh, Susie Doherty was her name, so obviously an Irish connection down in Australia, said that the, the hands are perfect, so then you could tell that AI wasn't involved. But see, AI is only in its equivalent 8-bit level that we had in, in, the, in computers in the 80s, and it's going to become more and more sophisticated. And uh, when we see something fake, we're going to go, ha-ha, this reveals something about this person. And if something is real, then the person being accused and exposed will go, maybe this is fake, and we're not going to be able to tell. We're not going to be able to tell. Although maybe the technology will exist to tell what's real and fake, which will require more AI. And they would have to believe that AI. <laughs> I don't know, it goes. Something that feels like it's fake, but is actually real. The Guardian has a story about crows and magpies. So, you know, you have all those spikes, the anti-bird spikes that you see in train stations and the ledges of buildings to stop um, mostly pigeons and seagulls gathering and uh, pooping down on you and so on. Uh, well, a Dutch study has identified several examples of corvids. They're the crows and the magpies and their amazing ability to adapt to the urban environment. So they've, you know, never shied away from turning human rubbish into nesting materials. But now they've started breaking off the long metal spikes that are to deter birds and they've used them to build nests. Nests recovered from trees in Rotterdam in the Netherlands, Antwerp in Belgium were found to be constructed almost entirely of the anti-bird spikes. And uh, so the director of the Natural History Museum in Rotterdam said they thought they'd seen it all, but they didn't expect this. The anti-bird spikes are now being used to create nests. When they went looking, they found one examples of the same thing in Glasgow and other parts of the world. And particularly the crows, who build a dome-like structure as their nest, um, made them entirely out of spikes and had the spikes on top as a deterrent for other birds. You know, it's just like, how could you not love crows and magpies? They're like superhero birds, basically. Uh, that's the story there. Ah, yes, the Emmys are out and about. The Irish Daily Mail tells us the Irish connection here. Ireland's strongly represented nominations for the 75th Emmy Awards is either awards for the greatest television on the planet. Sharon Horgan leads the way for the, the Irish contingent with the black comedy Bad Sisters, which is very, very well received on Apple+. Plus. Um, she stars in, yes, as Eva Garvey. She received two nods for her work on the show. She's been nominated as lead actress in a drama series category coming up against stiff competition from Elizabeth Moss for The Handmaid's Tale and Bella Ramsey in The Last of Us, which has loads and loads of awards. Uh, obviously, Succession leads the awards uh, and uh, with 27 nods in total. And um, there's also nod, uh, Melanie Linsky for Yellow Jackets. So basically... Um, yellow, or sorry, Succession and The Last of Us lead it, absolutely. But the other Irish people being nominated as well, Miss um, uh, Walsh, this is Dervla Walsh, has been uh, directed, has been nominated for directing, best directing. And she will be up against fellow Irish director Declan Lowney, who obviously is well known for his work and directing Father Ted, but he's been directing uh, the comedy series Ted Lasso, and he's in that. So huge Irish contingent, that's not happening. We won't find out until September if they've won. And looking at the Donegal Live and how they've covered the Emmy nominations, semi, seven Emmy nominations for Michael J. Fox documentary, what? 
edited by Letterkenny's Michael Hart. Aha, the local connection. So um, a fellow called Michael Hart, who's not Mickey Hart, from Letterkenny, he's been editing the Michael J. Fox film and it's been nominated for Outstanding Documentary Nonfiction Series and there's loads of nominations for that, but including editing, editing in particular. Uh, now, what do we know about Michael Hart of Donegal? Well, it gets very, very specific. Hart's mother is Mary, whose late father, Mick Galligan, was a guard for 40 years, based in Carrick for a spell and married to Anna, who still lives in the Glenties. Do you know her? Let us know. And Michael's father is Jimmy Hart, who's the former Labour senator originally from Raffoe, and he's the son of Paddy, who served for 36 years as a TD for Donegal North East. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it went on to say, you know him, you know him well, you know the fella, you went to school with your father, and they live in the house with the yellow Ford Fiesta. Do you know the one? You know the people? Do you know where I'm talking about? Yes, down the, down the way. But uh, great achievements for everyone there in the Emmys and we wish everybody well in the 75th Emmy nominations. Sharon Horgan, she has to be in. But sure, sure, the piles of awards anyway already. What else is happening across the film? We were discussing quite a bit recently in this section of the show about um, actors and musicians all kind of stepping back from the limelight for a couple of years. Something they wouldn't have done in the golden age because they'd be afraid of becoming irrelevant and other people stepping in to the gap in the market. So Emily Blunt, who's been out and about with the Oppenheimer premiere, um, has said she's going to quit the spotlight for at least a year in order to be there for her children. So this Emily Blunt, as we know, from the quiet one, uh, and Mary Poppins, A Quiet Place. Sorry, Mary Poppins, yes. She's, uh, she's decided to follow in the footsteps of a number of stars, taking a break from her career to prioritise the family. She's only 40 years of age. She wants to see more of her children and the new dog. They live in New York. And she's been talking to a podcaster about why she's taking time out. It's one of those things when people are like, how do you balance it? I never feel I'm doing it right, you know. But this year I'm not working. I just need to be... Really? Yeah, I just need to... I I worked quite a bit last year. And my oldest baby is nine. Mm -hmm. And I just feel there's cornerstones to their day that are so important when they're little. And it's, will you wake me up? Will you take me to school? Will you pick me up? Will you put me to bed? And I just need to be there for all of them for a good stretch. And I just felt that in my bones. She did indeed. And Sandra Bullock uh, announced she'd take a break as well from acting to be with her family. And last year, Chris Hemsworth, the Australian actor, declared he wanted to take time off after finding out he was at risk of developing Alzheimer's. And the British pop star Ed Sheeran has taken numerous breaks from touring and recording. Who else is there as well? Uh, Eva Mendes, she's on an 80-year hiatus because she had a child with her husband, Ryan Gosling. Channing Tatum is on a four-year break. And Cameron Diaz uh, took years and years off. She's come back and Lewis Capaldi, as we know, has taken a break recently. So there is a, there is a trend going on there in Hollywood with all the stress and strain under them. Um, now, across the continent, we mentioned this yesterday, there are... Uh, there is a European heatwave underway now. Uh, now, the Italians have called it um, Cerebrus. The Italian Meteorological Society have named the heatwave Cerebrus after the three-headed monster that features in Dante's Inferno as a guard to the gates of hell. Also familiar to us is the name of a vulture fund operating in here uh, since the crash. And um, the Italian Meteorological Society said the earth has a high fever and Italy is feeling it firsthand. 
Uh, the heat has already claimed at least one life. A 44-year-old construction worker died yesterday, collapsed on the side of the road while working in the northern Italian town because the temperatures are going up to 40 degrees plus. And uh, this is obviously there are regulations and there are petitions for regulations for workers. And they're saying now that it might be the case that in the summertime they will only be working uh, or they'll avoid the hours noon to 5 p.m. to do work. In Rome, tourists are collapsing due to heat stroke and um, an unnamed British tourist passed out in front of the Coliseum. This is obviously climate change in action. And unfortunately, they're talking about the solution over in Italy are... Um, more air conditioning. So it's like we've all of this stuff and energy use has caused the climate change and now the solution is more energy use. Um, what they're saying in particular, they're, they're telling people who had no access to air conditioning to avoid the hot hour because apparently in Europe, only 10% of homes here have air conditioning compared to 90% of houses in the US. That figure is going to go up. And what's interesting here, just because we've heard about the canopies they're going to put up across the Acropolis to try and save the tourists from the heat. Uh, Bill Gates uh, wants to hack the weather to save us from extinction. The Microsoft founder, well, he's been funding all these experiments to try to cool the Earth's climate. And everyone's asking, is this the right thing to do? Shouldn't we be tackling the underlying causes rather than trying to cover it up because people will be happy and go about their business? So they're, 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 he's hacking clouds, basically. So if you're under the clouds, they're going to... Uh, ships will come along and spray sea salt into low clouds because to, that'll make them brighter and it'll deflect the sun away uh, and the intense heat up back into the sky. And also above the clouds, planes are going to fly over and uh, basically spray and drop particles onto the clouds to make them darker so that it shades us underneath. And a lot of people are saying, well, this is going to stop people um, doing actions to reduce climate change and the action against it. And uh, scientists are also pointing out that you know, it's a mask of cooling by blocking out the sun. And if that's suddenly interrupted one day by a change of government or if there's a war or something like that, then you will have termination shock is what they're saying. That's the problem. Movie marketing is on steroids. Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible films, he's showing up in the cinema. He just shows up and goes, guys, it's so great to be here. (laughs) And does his laughing, smiling thing. And he's surprising cinema goers. Loads of screens across America and in Canada as well. So he shows up and pretends, (laughs) what a surprise. And says, you definitely dream of moments like this. It's amazing because he speaks in only Tom Cruise language, which is so positive. (laughs) And he posed for photographs as well. And presumably his teeth were so bright um, that in the camera flash that several people now had their retinas burned. And every time they blink forever, they will see Tom Cruise gurning at them maniacally. Tom Cruise 61. Forever scalded onto your eyeballs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tom Cruise just he's the only person who can talk and laugh at the same time he's amazing woo that's a low that's low energy Tom Cruise because if it was loud energy <laughs> sound engineers would kill would kill me oh Donegal are in touch 51551 that's the text number I'm a first generation Donegal person in Dublin and yes I do know Michael Hart's family of course you do his grandfather Mick Galligan was a guard and my late grandfather Pat Sheeran in Carrigart County Donegal. See, it is a small world and all news is local. He's wishing him luck in the Emmys, says Anne-Marie. Yes, we're all wishing them luck in the Emmys as the editor of the Michael J. Fox documentary. But most importantly, it's a letter Kenny Mann nominated for the Emmys. For the Emmys. It's summery enough out there in different parts of the country. I hear in the West they're having great weather compared to us over in the East Coast. So good morning all and feel a summary. 51551 is the text.
Future Islands, that's what it is. Seasons waiting on you and all that crack. Now, speaking to Emily Kenway yesterday about the the tough life of carers and she's expressing the difficulty of juggling the job and the job of looking after a loved one and um, the, the, the fact that many people don't understand really what, what carers are going through and mistake that, you know, professionals are there looking after people. So we got an email and I just want to read the whole thing out to you. Hello, Oliver. I'm sitting here in Palm Springs, California, listening to your story about caregivers. The story really hit home for me. I took care of my partner last year up until the time that he died. Drew passed away on January 21st of this year. He was diagnosed with a grade four brain tumour in January 2022. He was only 45. Our lives changed after his surgery and I had to balance a full time job along with a full time job of taking care of him. The more the illness progressed, the more I lost of the person I met 16 years ago. Drew went from being a vibrant, smart, funny, sarcastic, intelligent person to a person that couldn't find the words he needed to express himself or do the most basic of tasks. He developed an infection in January and fortunately for him, he never knew what was happening at the end. I think that the one thing that people don't talk about that much is what happens after someone dies. What I find is that people think it will all get better and it's such a relief when the pain and suffering is over, but the emptiness and lack of purpose leaves a huge void. I still talk to him every day and I ask him, what am I doing with my life and for who? I was very grateful for the time I had with Drew, frustrated at times, but happy that I was in a position to be able to stay at home and care for him during his last year on earth. Now that Drew is gone, I find it hard to deal with the silence and having all of this free time that I struggle with to fill. I know I'm more fortunate than most, but filling the void after you lose someone that was such a huge part of your life for so many years is hard. I thought the decision to move him to hospice care and holding his hand when he died was going to be the worst thing that could happen. But what I feel right now is worse because I know he is gone and he is never coming back. Sorry to bother you with all that's going on at home. I just had to break away from work and send a note to thank you. Please keep up the good work. And he sends a nice message to the team who are doing a great job. And that's from Warren, who's in Palm Springs in California. And he's from uh, Ballina, Killaloo in County Clare as well. So thanks for the story, Warren. I can feel the heart and the heft of your tale. And I hope that you felt that people are thinking about you now and are uh, going to help others that are going through the same thing. And perhaps you were a bit lightened by sharing that story. So look after yourself.